Hey guys, before we start, just a quick reminder, Powerhouse Politics is now on Spotify. Head over there, follow along, and tell your friends. Okay, let's get to the show. Welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News Chief White House Correspondent Jonathan Carl. And I'm ABC News Political Director Rick Klein. Rick, huge earthquake election in Alabama. The Republicans found a way to lose in Alabama, arguably... I mean, maybe not the most Republican state in the union, but Pretty one close. of the top two or three. <laughs> yeah, uh, they found a way to lose. Unbelievable uh, implications, I think, going forward. But implications right here for the ABC News political unit. I, you're the political director, right? I, I believe that's my title. And I believe we discussed this race. And what did you say about uh, Moore's prospects for winning down there? I don't think the the, the the listeners of this podcast don't care about my predictions, John. They, they care about the political. Let me let me let me answer for you. <laughs> I think you said definitively Roy Moore was going to win, and I think that my answer to you was that actually I think that Doug Jones has got a damn good chance of winning that's down just not, there. That's not how I remember it, but you're entitled to your opinion on this. I I respect the fact that you can have an opinion on this. You're, you 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 can go with it as you like. My 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 record speaks for itself. I mean, political director. <laughs> I mean, I'm just, I just good. work at the White it's House. Good. I'm just you know. That's how shocking this was. Is that the <laughs> even the, the honest analysis of, of this i mean look it's organization it's alabama i mean it's out Al- look look at this it is alabama and what's stunning to this there, there there's so many implications on one level though this is among the reddest states in the nation, uh, and this is the heart of Trump country, and the Democrats beat a candidate who took a page from the Trump playbook and ran with it, and they had the collected force of President Donald Trump, the Republican National Committee, and some of the Republican establishment, and maybe just as critically, because this guy is always on the same team, Steve Bannon, and the forces of Trumpism that masked. So this was a true test case of what Trump plus Trumpism can mean when Trump isn't on the ballot, and guess what? The Republicans fell flat. With a deeply flawed candidate, yes, but also a Democratic strategy that showed a lot of the path forward for them, the, the, the sort of coalitions you need to tie together. Doug Jones was able to make that happen in Alabama. And, you know, Doug Jones was a good candidate, so they, they, they had a strong candidate. But he wasn't exactly – this isn't exactly like a conservative Democrat winning in the Deep South. No. Doug, Doug, Doug Jones – I mean – you know, the, the president said he'd be absolutely beholden to Chuck Schumer. That may or may not be true. Uh, but he was not exactly a typical, you know, uh, blue dog Democrat right. down there. Uh, let, let, let's play a little, little clip from his, uh, his victory speech. We have been at crossroads in the past. And unfortunately, we have usually taken the wrong fork. Tonight, ladies and gentlemen, you took the right road. I mean, as Yogi Berra said, when you come to a fork in the road, you got to take it. Yes, yes, that's right. And to, let's be kind to uh, to uh, the, the senator-elect from Alabama. He's kind of a boring guy. Uh, it reminds me a little bit of Ralph Northam, who just won in Virginia, a purplish state, a, a couple weeks ago. And it says to me the Democrats can be boring. And as long as they're not controversial, the guys that reflect the state, they go out there, they do the work. Pro-abortion rights, that's right. I mean, enthusiastically so. But but didn't play into the national narratives. Uh, he, he was certainly... They were they were anti-Trump things, but he didn't talk about Trump a lot on the campaign trail. He talked about Roy Moore, he talked about his opponent, and he talked about himself and went and did it. And that is ultimately what put him over the line in beating a guy who was a very known quantity, had run statewide and won a couple of times before, rollicked through the Republican primary in Roy Moore. 
One thing that both Moore and Jones had in common, by the way, is they both turned down requests by this podcast for interviews. Oh wow! Yeah, well, that's still. I, I mean, can you blame them? We would have, <laughs> we would have, we would have changed the trajectory of this race, John, as as we know so well. But look, they didn't want to play the national game; they wanted to stay uh, local. You have to talk about the uh, enormous flaws of Roy Moore. I mean, this was about as. Uh, about as uh, damaged a campaign as you can imagine. And it struck me going into Election Day, both sides are saying, how can this thing be close? How can a Democrat win in Alabama? How could a guy accused of multiple instances of child molestation possibly sniff a Senate seat anywhere at any time? That's the situation that we were in. And the strangest of strange races. I mean, so you had the sexual misconduct charges more basically disappears from the campaign trail in the final week for several days, comes back, and he does an interview with a 12-year-old girl. <laughs> I mean, I just don't... And and then there was... I mean, and, and, and I think that Donald Trump was the person who said that this is a guy, went back when he was supporting Luther Strange in the primary, who, you know, may not be able to win a, a general election. And that was before any of these charges. That's I mean, right. the views are out there. You know, the, his talk of doing away with all of the constitutional amendments after the first 10, uh, you know, his kind of hearkening back to the days of slavery when the families were so much stronger. I mean, there's some... And then, did you catch Kayla Moore, his, his wife's introduction to him um, just on, what was it, Monday? Yeah, the, the eve of Hanukkah, as I, as I recall. Yeah, yeah that was uh, something. Cause there, there have been charges that Moore was a little anti-Semitic. Some of his George Soros stuff seemed a little sure. tinged. Uh, anyway, I, I just... You you saw this, and we should one caveat, that two caveats here. I want us to point out that she is reading from a prepared statement here. Right. She has she has the speech. It is written out. She's holding the papers, and she's reading something she meant to say. Okay, right. right. The second thing is, as strange as it's going to sound now as we play it, it is even stranger <laughs> when you actually see the video and her facial expression. Play this. Fake news would tell you that we don't care for Jews. I tell you all this because I've seen it all, so I just want to set the record straight while they're here. One of our attorneys is a Jew. Well, case closed. And, 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 and when she does that, that little riff, uh, while they're all here, I for a minute, was she talking about the Jews are all here or while the <laughs> fake news is all here? Or maybe maybe it's one of the I mean, I don't know. Bernie Bernstein may have been there, the, <laughs> the, the, the fake Washington Post reporter. Yeah, that was a strange one. And it, it, it suggested to me that that Roy Moore and, and, and Kayla Moore were stuck in a, a different era where maybe you said things like that. Uh, in the in the same vein as you know, you both say, well, some of my best friends are gay, or you know, I had a black roommate in college. Archie Bunker hired a Jewish law firm, if you remember. I don't. Uh, that's a good yes, good yes, catch. Yeah. Yes. So, the, but but if you look at the way that that, that this campaign cast itself and. You mentioned some of the controversial things that he has said. He has also uh, suggested that homosexuality might uh, be outlawed, that Muslims shouldn't be allowed to serve in Congress. He was, he, this was another generation of Alabamians speaking. And I was struck the president at the end said, look, we have to get Roy Moore in there to make America great again. 
guess what? People of Alabama got to make their own judgment on what their view of Roy Moore's America versus the America that was being put forward by the Democratic Party. And in this one instance, they went pretty solidly and very strongly for the Democrat. They rejected a, a lot of this. And, I, you know, Charles Barkley, could, he was everywhere over in Alabama. Uh, I was struck by what he said um, on, on election night and said, you know, at some point we got to stop getting embarrassed here in Alabama. And I feel like there's, there, was a, there was a segment of that that was the rebuke to, to Roy Moore and to Trumpism in this vote. And, you know, the, there was a debate inside the White House. There was obviously a debate within the Republican Party. Actually, I would argue it wasn't even much of a debate. Virtually all of the leadership of the Republican Party in Washington was uh, calling on Moore to resign and was not coming out to support him. I say virtually all of the Republican leadership in Washington, with one one exception, the president of the United <laughs> yeah. States of America and the chairperson, the chair of the Republican National Committee who was doing what the president wanted her to do. So we're going to be talking with a card-carrying member of the Republican establishment shortly, uh, 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 Josh Holmes, uh, former chief of staff to uh, to Mitch McConnell. Uh, but before we get to Josh, I, I want to play just one kind of interesting bit of reaction. Steve Bannon was the person who not only endorsed more in the primary, campaigned for him during the primary when at that point, Donald Trump was still in the Luther Strange camp. Steve Bannon is somebody who urged the president to get on more after to support more after after the uh, after the primary was over. Uh, Steve Bannon was down there campaigning. I, I think Steve Bannon did as many appearances on behalf of Moore as Moore did on behalf of himself in the final days of the campaign. <laughs> um, and this is the person who came into the White House as the chief st- strategist. Uh, for the president of the United States. I was just on the way up here to the studio, uh, caught uh, uh, Congressman Pete King of, uh, of Long Island. I think he's from not too far from where you yeah, went my, to. Uh, that's my parents. Yes. Right. Yep. yep. Uh, and he had an interesting, uh, interesting way to kind of uh, talk about the Bannon effect. Take a listen to this. I don't think Steve Bannon adds anything positive at all to the dialogue in, in the country. I don't know who would identify with him. And to see him on the stage uh, this week with the big American flag behind him, he looked like some disheveled drunk that wandered in off the street. To have him become the face of politics or to have a major voice in politics, I think is wrong. I think we should shut him. I think we should cut him off. And um, I'd say this whether it's a Democrat or a Republican. I just don't see what he... Okay, so there you have a Republican member of the House who's been close to the president, by the way, somebody who's been quite supportive of the president, mm-hmm. uh, saying that the president's former chief strategist and current outside advisor, very important, prominent outside advisor, should be shunned, uh, looks like a drunk who wandered in off the street, and we should shut him out. And, and it was his inside advisor not too long. He was his rove or his axelrod. Like he was the chief, no, he was more than that. Yeah. He was. You remember the press release that went out on the day one uh, announcing uh, our our friend Reince Priebus as the chief of staff. Priebus was the third name mentioned in the press release. <laughs> the first name was chief strategist Steve Bannon, yeah. whose office, by the way, was a few steps closer to the Oval Office than uh, uh, than, than Priebus's. Uh, but let, let, let's bring this all to uh, to somebody who never looks like a disheveled drunk just off the street. Uh, Josh Holmes. Uh, with uh, the, the the founding partner of Cavalry, uh, interesting. I, I don't know if that's the whole horse thing uh, brought him to, uh, to to Roy Moore, um, <laughs> but Josh Holmes is on the line. Josh, you with us? Yeah, I'm on, gentlemen. Good to hear from you. Uh, good to hear from you. So, um, give us give us straight up. You're a, you're as Republican as anybody I know. Were you 
thrilled to see a Democrat win in Alabama last night? Be honest, oh, now, because we, 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 yeah, we, we, I mean, we, we have a total honesty right. policy on here on, on Powerhouse Politics. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. It's a no-spin uh, zone, as somebody must, once said. Yeah, yeah. Uh, look, I don't think thrilled is the right word. I certainly was relieved um, for a number of reasons. This is the Steve Bannon brand of politics that has now manifested itself in, in 2017 and the 2018 cycle is one that we saw play out in 2010 and 2012, and it did an enormous amount of damage to the Republican Party. We had candidates like Todd Akin, you remember, in Missouri, um, who had just absolutely disgusting uh, things to say about what he categorized as, quote-unquote, legitimate rape. And and the problem for the party with that, not in, in, in small part just because of his presence, but he also had a contagion effect on the entire Republican slate and the Republican Party itself. And uh, the entire party and all of our Senate candidates and the presidential candidate himself had to answer to what the American people were seeing from this particular candidate. And I think if Roy Moore had woken up this morning as a senator-elect, I have no doubt in my mind that the Republican Party would be saddled with the exact same situation. So the question, though, is is what does this mean going forward? Is this an isolated case where uh, Republicans manage to find, you know, the, the the one human being who could actually lose as a Republican uh, in in Alabama, and uh, you know, Steve Bannon managed to convince the president? Although I'm not convinced that the president needed much convincing on this, to be honest. Uh, although I know there was uh, that there were other voices in the White House urging urging him not to get involved. But what, what does it mean? Is it isolated? Is this an Alabama thing? Or when you look at this, you look at what happened in, in Virginia, are you seeing something more akin to what we saw with Scott Brown um, in, in almost exactly eight years ago, uh, January of 2010, losing the special election where, Lord knows, Democrats, you know, uh, we, we thought there's no way you could lose Ted Kennedy's seat. It's almost as absurd as losing Jeff Sessions' seat on the other side. Is this a harbinger? Are, how, how, how big is the risk that, that Republicans could be looking at a 2018 midterm election where you could lose Senate seats in Nevada and Arizona, lose control of the U.S. Senate, and maybe even lose control of the House? Yeah, well, there are, there are certainly some similarities, but there are also some big differences. In, in 2010, January of 2010, when Scott Brown was elected, he was elected to that seat, and, and like you said, in Massachusetts, a seat that no Republican has played in in a long time and hasn't since, um, in large part out of a reaction to what Democrats were doing in Congress. Um, last night was a reaction to a particularly bad candidate who I think by any sense of decency standards had entirely violated uh, everybody's idea of who should represent in the United States Senate. I mean, look, we're talking about an accused child molester here who somehow got his, himself on the, on the ballot, won a Republican primary, and, and represented the party. And I think actually there are some folks that deserve some credit here too. I mean, there's, there's been a lot of talk about the split in the party about who's supported uh, Roy Moore and who hasn't. You know, the one uh, entity that there was absolutely no disagreement with Senate Republicans. I mean, from everybody from Mitch McConnell to Cory Gardner to uh, Richard Shelby, and basically every single member of the United States Senate were, were of one voice on this and that he was not 
uh, a candidate who was fit for office from their point of view. And, you know, look, it's a partisan election and has real consequences for the party. And yet these folks stood up and, and said and did the right thing, which I, I think deserves some some credit. And ultimately, at the end of the day, the people of Alabama agree with that sentiment. Josh, though, if you, if you back up to the the sequence of events that um, I, I guess you could say took place shortly after Jeff Sessions gets named to Secretary of State, uh, I'm sorry, Attorney General. So Jeff Sessions <laughs> leaves about a year ago. A little bit of a little bit of a surprise. You've got this opening, and uh, it, 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 we know that there's going to be this special election. And the the, the Senate Leadership Fund, the, the Mitch McConnell aligned Super PAC, takes a position early on in a in a raucous primary that Mo Brooks is the real threat, and actually tries to boost uh, boost up Roy Moore to try to. Get that one-on-one with Luther Strange. Is there any responsibility that that you feel, or you feel like the McConnell of uh, the P- McConnell political operation should feel for trying to monkey around in Alabama and and getting results that were obviously nowhere near where you wanted? You know, I, I think there's a couple of things you got to understand about the way that these things work. The, the political operations for Senate Republicans defend incumbents. Period. There are reasons for that that extend far beyond politics. The, the one reason is if you're have a two-seat majority. And you're trying to enact the president's agenda uh, largely along party lines. The idea that you can throw a member overboard in the midst of a, of a primary challenge would cause you some serious heartburn about whether you can count on their vote. Um, so there are a lot of reasons for supporting Luther Strange, not the least of which is he had a 100 percent voting record in favor of President Trump's agenda. But you know, Rick, where this whole story starts is actually, in my view, the most underreported aspect of the election, which is it didn't even need to happen. Um, governor Kay Ivey, who was installed there after the previous governor was ousted for, for a scandal of his own, uh, made the decision to unilaterally move the election from November of 2018 up to 2017. And she didn't notify the White House. She didn't notify uh, the Senate, and I don't think she even really notified Luther Strange, but uh, what happened was a, a, a cascading series of events that led us to, you know, one of the most embarrassing moments for the Republican Party in quite some time. All right, let's take a quick break. We'll be back with more with Josh Holmes in just a moment. Over 3 million businesses use Indeed.com for hiring, and independent research shows five times more hires are made through Indeed than any other job site. By creating the easiest, most effective hiring experience, Indeed helps businesses find great new people every day. Right now, Indeed is giving new users a $50 credit to post a sponsored job on the world's number one job site. Claim your credit at Indeed.com offer. Terms, conditions, and quality standards apply. Hey, this is Dan Harris, and uh, I want to tell you about my podcast called 10% Happier. You can listen every Wednesday for new guests and new perspectives. Some of these are people you know, uh, celebrities, athletes, executives. Uh, Some of them are uh, more obscure people that I'm obsessed with that I think you might be obsessed with once you uh, give them a listen. And you can hear about how they're using meditation to up their game in all these interesting areas of life. Again, the podcast is called 10% Happier. You can find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now and subscribe today. Are you feeling limitless? I don't think I've ever told this story publicly on the air anywhere, but I'll tell it now. Welcome to No Limits. I'm Rebecca Jarvis. Are you a psychiatrist? (laughs) 
<laughs> no. Each week, we're taking an honest look at success and how to get there with the boldest, most influential women in the world. Jessica Alba, Ariana Huffington, Issa Rae, Barbara Corcoran, Robin Roberts, welcome to No Limits. Listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. There's No Limits. So what what do you do about Steve Bannon now? I, I I he's been a little bit quiet in the aftermath. He's giving a couple interviews. I think he'll be out there a little bit more. I heard him being a little bit gracious even to Doug Jones. I don't think anyone thinks Doug, that that Steve Bannon is going to just take his toys and go home and 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 not play anymore. He has threatened every Republican incumbent senator. He says except Ted Cruz with a, with a primary challenge or some are developing, some aren't. He's in the middle of this. How do you, uh, Josh, and how how does how does the Republican uh, incumbent establishment Republican Party respond now to the threat that will still be posed by Steve Bannon? What do you have to do to him? Well, Steve Bannon is sort of the emperor that has no clothes here, Rick. I mean, this is a guy who piloted in in the last minute to the presidential campaign and took credit for Donald Trump's victory. I mean, the idea that the president himself had little to no impact on his own uh, on his own race and basically that there was um, his version of Karl Rove was Steve Bannon, who showed up in the last 90 days. And what we've seen since is that Steve Bannon does an enormously good job. He's extremely talented at getting attention for himself, right? He's convinced everybody that he's a major player in all of these elections and that, um, you know, he's going to have a major say in who's nominated and all of that. Reality is, is that it, at least amongst the donor community, there's basically nobody who wants to touch him. Uh, not absolutely after he's spent his first foray here um, supporting an alleged child molester in Alabama and losing an R plus 25 seat. So, I mean, this is a guy, he's basically um, leading a movement that doesn't exist. I mean, he's, he's attempting to convince people that uh, he is trying to support the Trump agenda, but how he's doing that is opposing a candidate with a hundred percent voting record and throwing away the seat altogether. So, you know, look, this is going to be ongoing. I have no question in my mind that Steve Bannon sticks around. What I'm hopeful of is that there are some critical eyes instead of just sort of uh, transcribing what it is that he says on a day-to-day basis, that people actually take a look and see what kind of firepower this guy has under the hood. Because the best that I can tell, he's the best uh, consultant that Democrats have had since James Carville, as Frank Lutz said earlier today. Well, I, I want to press you, though, on this kind of sense that, that I think I'm getting from you that, like, if, if, if Bannon, the Bannon wing, can kind of be pushed aside and seen for, you know, as the emperor with no clothes, that, you know, th- th- this is not kind of an existential threat here for the, for the party. It seems to me that when you look at what seems to be lining up, and I think that Frank Luntz, who you invoked, would probably uh, agree with this as well, seems to be the beginnings of a potential tsunami. Uh, you have a Republican Party that seems intent on alienating women, Hispanics, independents, African Americans, millennials. Um, that doesn't seem to be a formula to be a majority party of the future. Do, do, do you no, acknowledge? It, yep. Look, I, I think what you just explained is exactly Steve Bannon's view of the Republican Party, which is so absolutely critical that Republicans reject it. John, I I think the idea that Republicans could pursue or just proceed here at business as usual uh, and not reject the Bannon view of the world has absolute recipe for disaster. 
And, you know, if you could alienate the kind of voters in Alabama that are needed to get a Republican over the top, you can lose in absolutely every state in the union. And so, yeah, no, I, I think there needs to be a course correction in a hurry. What I'm hopeful of is that everybody has seen exactly uh, what you can expect out of Steve Bannon and his view of what a republic, what constitutes a Republican candidate. Josh, we, we talked a, a couple of moments ago about 2010, and to me, the similarities are, are just so striking. I mean, just to have this the, the, this deep red state that goes blue, just like that deep blue state went red at a time where uh, Democrats at the time were feeling a real urgency around their top policy priority. They were scrambling to get health care done. That changed the math in a critical way, as you recall well, taking away the, the, the 60th vote from, from Democrats. And at the time, no less in evidence than Mitch McConnell oh, said, yeah, McConnell. said I, quote, I think the message of the moment to the American people all across the country, they're asking us, even in the most liberal state, Massachusetts, to stop this health care bill. And he called on the Senate to pause on health care until Scott Brown was uh, was sworn in. And in fact, that is what happened uh, back in, in 2010. Why shouldn't the same thing happen now with the tax bill? Even for political, for, forget the precedent. We'll take the precedent first, but but also for political reasons. This is a this is a message that's being sent by voters. Shouldn't Republicans say, "Wait a second, let's hold up here. Let's make sure we get this right. Uh, let's let's deal with the the, the new Senate that we're going to uh, be dealing with through through next year, and uh, and and make sure that we're not going too far on political grounds." And before you answer, Joshua, one thing that's uh, to, to continue the parallel is. The Democrats were pushing through health care entirely on party line votes. And that's exactly what the Republicans are doing. I, I, we don't have a single Democrat in either chamber lining up in support of, of the tax bill. I think that maybe one difference between the two is the Republicans are actually doing this on a much quicker timeline than the Democrats did with health care. Well, look, I, I think in order to complete that parallel, guys, you'd, you'd have to conclude that the people of Alabama were voting against Roy Moore because of the progress on the tax bill, which is absolutely why the people of Massachusetts voted for Scott Brown. They were extremely unhappy with the excess government and the idea that, that Obamacare was on the horizon. And it was basically a referendum on that. This election in Alabama had absolutely nothing to do with the congressional agenda. It had everything to do with the fact that the guy who was nominated is an alleged child molester. And let's set that aside, right? But even after the allegations broke in the Washington Post, um, uh, even before that, this is somebody who said that gay people should go to prison. This is somebody who said that a Muslim could not serve in Congress. He has had these absolutely, completely, totally offensive views for so long that he darn near lost a, a Supreme Court race in 2012 when Mitt Romney carried the state by 22 points. So, I mean, this is a uniquely bad candidate for all of those reasons. This, this was not by any stretch of the imagination a referendum on the Republican agenda in Congress. Is the tax bill good politics? You, you, you see the polls. Do you buy them? Yeah, do I do. Wor- I do you worry that, that this is that the Republicans are going too far in pushing this in a party line, that this favors the rich too much and corporations too much uh, and doesn't doesn't deliver even what President Trump has said about a populist agenda? Yeah, I've yet to figure out how it is that it favors the rich. You can make, make, make a case on the corporate side that well, this is doing a lot for business, but, you know... Well, it is, primarily a, corporate ca- it is a, it primarily a corporate tax cut. I think you can agree that's where the lion's share of the money goes and that's oh, where sure. the, the permanence is. But, 
That's a far cry from the rich, though, Rick. I mean, look, the people who work for corporations across this country are, are not rich. They are, are middle-class men and women who are looking for a tax cut of their own. Unfortunately, you know, this bill will provide a couple of thousand dollars for that. I think it's good policy for the following reason. Um, everything in a snapshot in, in a, a change environment pulls poorly in Congress. We've seen it over the last 15 years. Every major reform is underwater by a long shot. In the end, how it is implemented is how, what the lasting uh, impact is. If you look at something like the Medicare prescription drug plan that President Bush put in in 2004, radically unpopular at the time, within four years, it had like a 75% approval rating. If you look at Obamacare, unpopular at the time, was implemented with a broken website, went in the tank, became a complete disaster. This, this tax bill uh, will provide liquidity and the ability for companies to increase wages and create jobs. And if we have a humming economy in 2018 and 2020, I think it's probably pretty good news for the Republican Party. Well, uh, Josh, we're out of time. Just just one one last thought on that, which is, I mean, having having covered the the the, the kind of all of the sausage making on the health care bill uh, up on the hill, and looking on at. Democrats making major uh, policy without a single buy-in from the other party. And it just seemed, watching it, that that was a big part of the wave uh, that came. Sure, there were concerns on the substance of health care. Sure, that was a major factor um, in, in, in that Massachusetts Senate race. But it was also how it was done. And while Alabama may have been unique with, with, with Roy Moore, it it to me it, it I, I find it I find it amazing that Republicans are doing operating in many ways in the exact same way uh, that Democrats operated with that health care bill in a way that Republicans denounced at the time and used to, uh, to, to 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 fuel the anger that led to the backlash that led to uh, a change in party control. Now here we are, and we're making major policy change in this country. And we're doing it, ramming it through uh, with without a single vote on the other side. Um, don't don't you, well, have, do you, do you have any pause about that? I, I mean, put, I put aside the, the substance I wonder, I wonder of the bill. If, I mean, yeah, but I wonder if you we would concede that there is some culpability of Democrats in here. I mean, if you look at you know take what Rick, yeah, but they're not in charge. Largely, I mean, where sure, does the buck stop here? They have no prohibition from participating in the process, that's for sure. I mean, if you look at what Rick, Rick highlighted, which is the, the core piece of this tax policy, is a, this corporate rate cut, that used to be the centerpiece of the Obama tax plan, right? I mean, that, that, that was the one piece of tax policy that Republicans and Democrats used to agree on. There, there, there's now, no doubt that even today there's, 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 there's bipartisan agreement that uh, U.S. – I mean, not, not all Democrats are on to this, of course, but, 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 but many Democrats would, would agree that the corporate tax rate in the United States is simply too high, that there is plenty of room for reform, for closing of loopholes, bringing down the rate, all of that. But there was no effort to, to, to bring Repo- Democrats into the process or to do a, 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 a bill here that would, they, they would address some of, of, their, of their other concerns as well. This was a partisan John, process it, from the start. Spring, it's it's sort of look. This spring, you had forty-seven Senate Democrats send a letter to McConnell, Ryan, and the president, basically saying that they wouldn't participate in any tax policy program that that did precisely what they used to advocate for. You know, so 
what choice do you have as a Republican but to move forward if your goal is to provide tax relief to the American people? Now, we all know, look, I don't think any of us are naive to think that Democrats are, are born-again tax cutters. They're just not, right? I mean, in my lifetime and in your lifetime, that hasn't happened. We have to go back to John Kennedy to find the last serious Democrat who's willing to cut your taxes. The, the Reagan plan was negotiated with Democrats. You know that. I mean, there, there, were, there was bipartisan buy-in And, 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 and the Bush tax cuts had, had, had Democratic buy-in. Not a lot, but it had some. I mean, no, they didn't. Absolutely not. I mean, I remember... I remember ben, <laughs> ben Nelson, come on. Come on. It passed, it passed on a 51-vote Republican majority. I mean, this, this is not a tax policy has been has been uh, two views of it. Either you ought to raise everybody's taxes or you ought to cut everybody's taxes. And that's the definition of the difference between the two parties. So I, I think this is fundamentally different than health care because of where you start. And I also think that the end result of a tax policy program that the Republicans are trying to implement here means more money in the American people's pocket, whereas the, the end result of the health care program the Democrats implemented was you had to change the heck out of your health care. And that's a disruptive force, and it makes it extremely politically toxic. And so I, I, I just don't see the similarities. I do think that there are similarities in terms of the political environment, but not these two bills. All right, Josh. Josh Holmes, we appreciate you being with us. Uh, thank you for, for your time. I know it must have been mixed emotions for you, uh, and you were a Twitter star for the night. <laughs> Last <laughs> night, <laughs> we noticed your stuff going viral. <laughs> yeah, you, you have mixed emotions. Imagine I spent most of my adult life trying to elect Senate Republicans, and yeah. being relieved when one's defeated is a weird, <laughs> odd, very odd feeling. Right, but I, it, I think you're not alone in that sense uh, today. It says, well, at least at least you're done with Roy Moore, and you can move on. Yeah, <laughs> that is a fact. Good, <laughs> good Lord, thank thank goodness for that. All right. By the way, before you go, can I just because I'm just doing my little Google, and we can continue this conversation online. But the 2001 Bush tax cuts, I've got, I've got, I've got my my friend Ben Nelson as a yes. I've got Max Baucus as a yes. Uh, I've got Carnahan as a yes. Uh, uh, so I passed with less than 60 votes, but, but, but there, were, there, were, there were a few, a few Democrats who ultimately were on board. Yeah, and, I, and, and the 03 version of that, I think, it was, it was much more partisan. I remember, I remember being there. Right, which was not as big as the 01, right? But anyway, look, we'll, 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 we'll go over this. There's been the, 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 tr- the trend towards partisanship, intense partisanship has been with us. Uh, for a long yeah, time, right. it's just we've 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 reached we reached the extreme in 2009, and it seems like we haven't really looked back since. Yeah, I can't disagree with that. All right, thanks a lot, Josh Holmes. Appreciate joining us in Powerhouse Politics. All right, thanks, guys. So, man, yeah, it's it is it's an interesting moment for Republicans that, that they wake up and say, "You just lost the seat in Alabama." Thank God. Thank God. <laughs> Thank God for that. That's right. Uh, but for, but from a governing perspective, uh, so leave the tax bill aside because the, it, it, it seems like they're going to try to do this at fifty two forty eight. Yep. Think about what fifty one forty nine means. Oh my God! Think about now Jeff Flake, John McCain, Bob Corker, Susan Collins, Lisa Murkowski. Every one of them has the potential now to make it a deadlocked Senate. And a it, single vote requires Pence to come up. That's right. Two of them kills whatever. One whatever senator. It is does anything and says, I don't want to be on board because of this, this, that, or because I don't like the, how, what, what color socks it put on in the morning. Any mm-hmm. reason whatsoever, you have a deadlocked Senate. And if you have one friend who'll join you, it's dead. You cannot get something done in the United States Senate if, if two Republican senators decide for any reason at any time that they don't want it to happen. That is not 
a governing majority in 2017, 2018 Washington. And the question for us going forward, Paros politics and the country as a whole, is how does the president deal with that? Yeah. Does he, you know, dig in further? Uh, does he, you know, is it all base politics from here on out? Or is it, well, I'm going to need to, I'm going to need to find a way to reach out to Democrats. And we've seen no indication of that uh, except for that brief moment in September when he had Chuck and Nancy over for Chinese right. food and, 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 and chocolate pie. Uh, you know, what's, wh- what happens from here? And my sense is I, I don't sense a real desire of Democrats to suddenly, uh, you know, make any deals. No, no, they don't have I any mean, they smell to, blood. Not after, not, after, not after this election. And, and a lot of it does come back to how the president now handles Steve Bannon, to, to, to close the loop on that conversation. Does, does he still take Bannon's calls? Does he still take Bannon's advice? Does he still move where Bannon wants him to? Does he get involved in other primary challenges? Does he does it, say, in Nevada or Mississippi, where there are establishment Republicans who are running uh, for re-election? Does he, does he still take that the Bannon-esque view of where the country needs to go and how you'd govern in this country? Because if he does that, then all bets are off in, in, in the Congress. And, it, and that makes it Literally impossible to imagine anything happening over the next year because I think you're right. Democrats they haven't won for a while. They had lost five special elections in Republican seats before in the Trump era before the victory in Alabama. Uh, but they are seeing a lot of signs for optimism in in the resistance, in the Me Too movement, and in, in marrying that into an agenda that Democrats can move forward. No question. All right, that is all the time we have for this edition of Powerhouse Politics. Join us again next week. Our thanks uh, to Dave Ryan, Avery Miller, the entire Powerhouse Politics team. Talk to you again next week. <laughs>